Sports fans of all ages, faces, and places from every stadium, arena, and auditorium all over the world. May I have your attention, please? Well, time's coming when we're going to have to handy up. Handy up and kick in like men. Like men! It is now time to bring to your listening ears, hearts, and minds a sports podcast named Wendell's World in Sports. With the one and only Wendell Wallace. Tell him how you feel. A podcast that gives you strong, passionate, unapologetic, uncompromised thoughts and opinions about the everyday happenings in the NFL. And college football to the NBA in my Georgetown Hoyas. Giannis fires one down and an exclamation point for Milwaukee. To any other sporting news of the day. And now, introducing the man whose love of sports was born and bred on the greatest Muhammad Ali, Lim Baez, Magic Johnson, Bernard King, and Eric Dickerson, Wendell Wallace. Good morning, good afternoon, bonjour, bonsoir, que pasa, shalom, wassalam alaikum, konnichiwa, namaste, welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. A lot of great things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. I thank you so much for uh, listening to the podcast. Before I begin, I got one request, as I always do. Anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcast, iHeart, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, do me a favor, download, subscribe, rate, review. Most importantly, though, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to if you can do that. Man. Ain't lying, y'all. It would make me the happiest human being walking the face of the earth. Again, that ain't no lie. Special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast. I hope that you had a safe and prosperous and joyous and happy and happy uh, past Thanksgiving week. One of the main reasons, the main reason why I didn't do a podcast last week. But uh, yeah, you know, relaxed, didn't do a thing. Didn't visit any family, didn't visit any friends. Kicked back, watched a lot of football, watched a lot of basketball, watched a lot of uh, good stuff on the telly, watched some old, uh, some old documentaries on some serial killers. So yeah, basically on Thanksgiving Day, that Thursday, that Friday, the Wednesday, I did exactly what I wanted to do. Not being around nobody, not being around family, not being around a whole group of people, just me, myself, and I, kicking back, doing what I want to do, and relaxing. That's my definition of a joyous, happy Thanksgiving day and Thanksgiving week. Now, if there's a Halle Berry type out there who wants to knock on my door and keep me company, I'm more than happy to let y'all in or to let you in. But other than that, unless it's my best friend or my goddaughter, no. Uh, or even my mom who's on the other side of the country, Mm-mm. no, not, not happening. I'm just going to kick back, enjoy the, um, and the, enjoy the pleasures of what I want to do and not have to answer to nobody. Well, that's going to be the whole thing. That's my theme for the holiday season. Answering and doing things for nobody except moi. <laughs> you got that right, man. If it's selfish, it's selfish. But uh, yeah, man, in terms of the uh, holiday season, it's a situation where I just kick back, Try to treat it like every other day, Christmas Day, Thanksgiving Day, really not the same. So the festivities of the holiday season, Christmas season, I ain't into it. I'm not putting up a Christmas tree. I'm not putting up decorations. I'm not putting lights around my townhome. Not giving uh, the NV Energy any more money by doing that type of nonsense. So not buying nobody no Christmas presents, none of that stuff. I'm just going to kick back, relax, enjoy, try to... Try to uh, put out as many great podcasts as I can and hope you enjoy it and then keep them moving. 
keep on moving on from there. If the Lord can get me through today and then get me through tomorrow and then the next day and then the next day till the new year, then uh, I'll be blessed. I'll be thankful. I'll be joyous. And that's the only thing I want for Christmas, man. That's the only blessing I want for Christmas. Health, health, love, peace, unity, togetherness for the entire world. Health for my mom and my loved ones. And uh, just keep it moving and keep my relationship with Christ strong as it is. So that's the only thing I'm asking for. That's the only Christmas present that I want and that I will receive. So, again, not unless somebody wants to uh, send me somebody who's like, you know, 42 years old with a great stinking booming body and all that kind of nonsense who says, Hey, Wendell, what's happening? You want to uh, have a... Want to have a little fun for uh, Christmas? Yeah! Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So yeah, man. So I've been off for a week. So, um, you know, a lot of stuff to get into. A lot of stuff to talk about in terms of what's going down in the world of sports. You know that we always, for the most part, have to start off with the uh, NFL. Because uh, we've got the playoff picture after week 12. If we take a look at first. I want to go first with the AFC. Then I'm going to go ahead and do a little dancing because I got my man Otis Reddick on deck to uh, give y'all a little bit of respect. So um, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to do the AFC division. Then I'm going to come back and do the NFC division. Then I'm going to come back and I'm going to talk about college football and the Final Four and that type of nonsense. And then to end the program, I'm going to be talking about the NBA. I'm going to be talking about the play-in, the, the, the play-in tournament. It's not the play-in tournament. It's the NBA, this mid-season tournament that surprisingly has gone well. I'm, I'm surprised. Really, I am. I thought this would be a situation where the players wouldn't care and it would be an extra burden, but uh, there's some stuff that's going on. I give it up to the players. I thought basically they would treat the play-in tournament or this in-season tournament the same as they treat All-Star Weekend in terms of its importance. But uh, to the contrary, they've done quite well in making these games meaningful. Was I'm recording this on a Wednesday mid-afternoon right before my Georgetown Hoyas play in about an hour and a half. But um, yeah, I was watching the uh, Golden State Warriors play the Sacramento Kings uh, last night on TNT. And you would have thought, and I know it's a rivalry, and I know that the Kings are up and coming, and the Warriors are the last uh, dynasty that we've had in the NBA, and they still have Steph, and they still have Clay, and Draymond was coming back from suspension. And, and it's very early in the uh, season. We're one in the game 16, 17, 18 for a lot of these teams. So, yeah, it was a situation where there, there, there is some um, there is some other carrots there is some other themes that are going to be told on why the game was played yesterday between or last night between Golden State and Sacramento the reason why it was played with such ferocity with such intensity but man a lot of that also had to do with the fact that um, it was for a situation I think in Sacramento's case to uh, play to get into the next round of the in-season tournament so you put in all that mixture, the great crowd of Sacramento, the budding rivalry that is the Sacramento Kings and the Golden State Warriors, and then you sprinkle in a little bit of that incentive of playing in the in-season tournament for that to continue. I got to give it up to Adam Silver. I got to give it up to the players to be like, yeah, man, that was, uh, that was a good call. And this is only the first year. So it was a good call. It speaks of the competitive nature of NBA players and the fact that, yes, yeah, some of these guys, man, some of these guys on these teams, yeah, we, we, we think about a million dollars. And let's kind of put it into the, the realm of these NBA players who are making 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 40, 50 million dollars a year before taxes on the average. And we take a look and saying the winner 
of this tournament will receive a million dollars each. Well, if you're LeBron James, if you're um, Kevin Durant, if you're one of these veterans who were superstars in the league that are that have already made hundreds of millions of dollars, if you're a young cat like a Luka Doncic or some of these young guys, Jason Tatum, who are going to be getting these super, super max uh, contracts, a Jalen Brown, who at the end of his contract could be making over $60 million a year in about four or five years. You take a look at those guys and you say, well, what's, what's going all out for a million dollars going to do? So we concentrate on those players. What we don't concentrate, though, on the importance of some of the rookies, some of the free agents or some of the guys who are two-way players or some of the guys who have been on rosters who are um, rookies on these rosters. And yeah, for LeBron James, maybe winning a million dollars ain't a big deal. Maybe for someone like a Jason Tatum or a Jalen Brown or a Nikola Jokic winning a million dollars might not be a big deal. But for some of these rookies who are the 11th and 12th men on the team, um, a million dollars in Vegas, earning that where there's no state taxes, so you can keep more of that income for winning that tournament for them. Yeah, it's important. Now, those guys aren't going to be super impactful when uh, deciding who's going to win this tournament and such. But yeah, I mean, and relatively speaking, when you're speaking about winning millions of dollars or winning a million dollar prize, yeah, for someone like you and I, yeah, I mean, we basically jump into Lake Mead and swim with the sharks to uh, try to win that money. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, we, even for someone who's on a minimum contract, who's on a rookie contract, that's great money to be making. We'd be dancing in the street like Martha and the Vandellas and dancing on the ceiling like Lionel Richie if we could be making with these rookies, with these 22, 23-year-old NBA rookies, 19, 18-year-old rookies are making in the NBA. And then to add on top of that a million dollars, yeah, I can see for those guys sitting on the bench clapping and cheering and waving and doing that type of stuff, acting like ML Carr with the Celtics back in the mid-80s. Yeah, I can see where their enthusiasm to win and push their uh, teammates to do so. So good for them and good for the NBA again for turning this tournament into something that's uh, that's world that's uh, worth watching. Last night, the uh, Boston Celtics, Joe Mazzulla was up there when the, when the Celtics were up by what? 30-something, 20-something in the fourth quarter, five minutes or six minutes left to go in the game against the Chicago Bulls. They're up there hack-a-drumming the San Andre Drummond to the line, doing it so much that Joe Mazzula actually had to go down to the bench for Chicago and talk to Billy Donovan, the head coach of the Bulls, to say, look, we're not doing this to uh, embarrass you or to run up the score. Point differential equates that we need to do this because we need to reach a certain threshold of points for us to uh, move on to the next round. So, yeah, they're taking this seriously. So, I give the NBA a whole lot of credit. So, I'll be speaking about that. I'll be speaking about the referees in the NBA, again, ejecting players. Hey, man, last time I checked, last time I checked, tickets to watch an NBA game, they ain't cheap. And if there's a situation where I've only got, you know, I've only going to bring my family to one game to watch an NBA team, play my hometown team and I see the referees throwing out the star players in the first quarter or the second quarter of a game in which I paid hundreds of dollars to go watch note to the NBA note to the NBA officials we ain't coming to see you referee okay we're coming to see Giannis yoke on somebody and then give the small thing as he's walking away we're coming to see Nikola Jokic play we're coming to see Chris Paul uh, play. We're coming to see these guys play. We're not coming to see you guys referee. 
Now I know that you guys, some you you the referees take a lot of abuse, and I know that there's some players who can be a little testy that can take it over the edge. I understand that, and I know that there's a certain amount of decorum and respect that the NBA players, even the superstars, even the best of the best, even the guys that we've come to uh, watch play, I know that there's a level of decorum that they must uh, they must show when they're on the court or they're going to get ejected. I understand that. I get that. But man, I've been watching a whole lot of NBA games this season so far, and man, there's been a whole lot of useless technicals where it's kind of like, come on, man, let the guy, let him play. Have a little bit thicker skin. You understand what I'm saying? I'm watching Milwaukee play Miami last night. Tight game, near the end of the game. Jason Richardson at the Heat. He fouls uh, Damian Lillard. I think the score was one. It was a two-point. It was a two-point contest at the at that game. During that moment, so Jason Richardson on the inbound fouls Damian Lillard. It was a foul. It was a foul. But Jason Richardson and Eric Spolstra, the coach of the Heat. They thought that uh, Lillard had traveled. So in a demonstrative way, while going in the opposite direction, Spolstra was given the travel sign and was, uh, you know, kind of fuming and this, that, and the other. The referee gave him a tee. It's a two-point game with under, with under 30 seconds to go. You got Lillard going to the foul line, essentially having a three-point play with the Bucks up by two. That's essentially the ball game. Come on, man. You can't be affecting the outcome of a game like that. Now, if Spolstra would have gotten in his face and would have yelled and screamed or would have ran on the court or, or thrown a chair or done something ridiculous like that, well, then, yeah, you give him the tee, you give him another tee, you get his ass out of there. But, yeah, if, if he's doing something nutty or crazy like that, if he's motherfucking you or what the fuck, you suck, you motherfucker, this, this, if he's doing those type of things, yeah, you tee him up because you can't do that. Same with the players. If a player's motherfucking you after you said, hey, look, man, that's enough. That's enough. Chris, that's enough. I've heard your complaints. I've taken it into account. I don't want to hear it anymore. All right, give me a break or else I'm going to tee you. All right, I thought we were a referee. I'd be like, hey, look, Chris, Chris, you're getting close to getting kicked out of here. And there's a whole lot of folks who idolize you are coming to see you play. There's a whole lot of folks who paid a lot of money who put themselves into a little bit of debt to come see you play tonight. Don't make me kick you out of here because I will because you're getting close. You keep talking to me, you're going to be thrown out of here. And those folks up there who came to see you, who put a financial burden on themselves to come see you play, are going to be highly disappointed that you're going to be kicked out in the first quarter. But I'm telling you, you keep talking to me like this, that's what's going to happen. I mean, some type of dialogue like that. But man, these referees so far, I don't know, grow a little bit thicker skin. Anyway, that's what I'm going to be talking about in the third, in the final segment of the uh, program, man, I just started going, and it's just like, I'm watching the game, it's like, come on, man, you're gonna give a guy a technical for that, all right, so that's, that's the, that's what's happening on the uh, program today, as I get ready again to watch my Georgetown Hoyas go for three in a row, baby, as they play Merrick, so I'm happy about that also, so let's take a look at the uh, NFL playoff picture after week 12, we're gonna first Start in the AFC. We got the division leaders. We got the Baltimore Ravens. The number one seed, 9-3, beat the LA Chargers on Sunday night, 20-10. to Baltimore, you know they're averaging 27 points per game, which is the most in its uh, franchise through 12 weeks since Lamar Jackson's MVP season in uh, 2019. The Ravens defense leads the league, giving up 15.5 points per game. 
This weekend they have a bye, but at home afterwards they're going at home against the LA Rams, then Jacksonville on Sunday night, then they're going to be at San Francisco on Christmas night, then Miami, then Pittsburgh. It's interesting when I was taking a look at this. It was interesting because I remember a podcast I was doing before Joe Burrow went down, before Deshaun Watson went down, and I was talking and I was thinking and I was saying the most competitive division in the NFL, the highest the high with with the that not only in terms of who's going to be winning the biggest question mark in terms of who's going to be winning the division, but also take a look and say the most competitive division of teams with good records. We're not talking about the AFC South, which is equally competitive in terms of you don't know who's going to be coming out of that division. You don't know who's going to be winning that division. But when you speak about Tampa and Carolina and New Orleans and New Orleans and Atlanta, it really doesn't matter because all of those teams are so subpar before the quarterback, um, before the, uh, um, the injuries to the quarterback in Cleveland and Cincinnati, Cincinnati went down. It was a situation was which one of these really good teams, Cleveland, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, and Cincinnati, which one of these teams is going to emerge as the leader in the winner of the AFC North division. But now it seems clearly to me that the Ravens are that team. As much as I enjoy, as much as I think the Cleveland Browns defense is strong enough that they can get Cleveland into the playoffs, even if it's Dorian Thompson, even if it's PJ Walker at the quarterback position, I don't think that they stand a chance uh, as far as winning the division is concerned because of Deshaun Watson going down, even though he wasn't playing his best football, even though he was middling and mediocre at the very best. Inconsistency was uh, what Deshaun Watson was putting down for most of the season. But you go from him to downgrade to the quarterback that are going to be under center for Cleveland the rest of the way. I just don't think that they have the juice. I don't think they have the quarterback play to make it to where they want to go in terms of winning the division. Then you see Joe Burrow going down in their game on Thursday night, uh, Thursday night a couple of weeks ago against Baltimore, and I think that spells the end for Cincinnati. Pittsburgh finally got rid of his offensive coordinator, Matt Canada, they put up the same amount of points, 16. Really, they were averaging more with Canada, but for the first time in, I believe, 45, 48 games, something like that, they actually had over 400 yards. So the new offensive play caller, I don't know if he's going to be able to resurrect the Pittsburgh's, Pittsburgh Steelers' offense to complement their defense. You don't need to put... 30-plus points on the board for Pittsburgh to come back and win this division because of how well the defense is playing. But still, I don't know the quantitative effect it's going to have as far as the offense is concerned to push them to where they're going to be really able to do some things against the Ravens. When you speak about the AFC, when you speak about that division, when you speak about that conference, even though the record spells that the Baltimore Ravens are the best on paper, I do believe as of right now, when you speak of the contenders, when you speak of the division leaders, that the Baltimore Ravens are the best team in the AFC. Now, any given Sunday, especially if you take a look at the career, the playoff careers of Lamar Jackson and John Harbaugh, just because they have a really good record during the regular season, they can finish off this season 14-3. and They can finish off this season 13-4. and The lack of consistent wide receiving play concerns me for the Ravens. The fact that they lost their tight end, Mark Andrews, for the rest of the year, the main target for Lamar Jackson, that concerns me a little bit. 
But um, for the most part, as of right now, I think when you take a look at both offense and defense and special teams, and you speak a look at the team in its totality, I think that the Baltimore Ravens are the best and are worthy of that moniker of being the number one seed in the AFC as for right now. Second, we have the Kansas City football team. They beat the Las Vegas Raiders 31-17 after losing at home to Philadelphia on Monday Night Football. I think, couldn't you say, because it was 14-0 in the midway through the second quarter, right? Isn't that right before Kansas City finally woke up and uh, put the Raiders out of the misery, outscoring them 31-3 the rest of the way? You know, it's only the third time when we speak about the Kansas City football team, especially during the especially during the Patrick Mahomes era, what's the one thing that we always speak about, right? Dynamic quarterback play, strong offense. When we speak about Andy Reid and his pedigree, how he made his bones, how he became one of the best coaches in his generation and a Hall of Fame coach, we, 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 we place that on what he's done from the offensive end, right? So when you have Mahomes, the best quarterback in football, blah, 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 throughout the years when they were winning Super Bowls and being the elite team in the NFL, we always equated that with their offense. Well, again, they beat the Raiders on Sunday, this past Sunday, 31-17. to You realize that was only the third time this season that the Raiders have scored over, excuse me, that the uh, uh, Kansas City team has scored over 30 points? Only the third time from a team as potent offensively as we've known before as the, um, as the Kansas City offense. The, hasn't been as dynamic as they were last season. They're averaging six left points a game. Now they're only averaging 23 points a game. And I say only because, yes, you have Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback. The defense, again, is still strong and elite. 11 consecutive opponents that they've held to 24 or fewer points. And that threw you off the team record. They shut down the Raiders in the second half, holding them to 113 yards after Las Vegas picked up 245 in the first two quarters. They're going to be playing the Green Bay Packers on Sunday night this upcoming Weekend, what do you take more? When I when I take a look at the when I take a look at the Kansas City football team, and I take a look at the recent play of these guys, and I'm thinking to myself, huh, should I take more from this win? Really, the two quarters, the second half that they played against the Las Vegas Raiders, should I should I take that in terms of how I'm going to predict, how I'm going to uh, opinionate? on what the Kansas City football team is, or should I illuminate a little bit more on some of the weaknesses of Kansas City, which was laid to bear in that game on Monday night a couple of weeks ago against the Philadelphia Eagles, where you could really say they snatched defeat from the jaws of victory, and they really did it more than once. I know everybody's going to be focusing on the drop touchdown pass by Marcus Valdez-Scandling, but man, that was a situation where Kansas City should have won that football game. They were in control, they were in charge, and while the drop by Scandling was the most egregious and the most inopportune time for him to drop that pass because obviously it would have given uh, Kansas City the lead at that point, but there were so many other opportunities for Kansas City to put the ball, to uh, put the game away, but um, you have a bunch of receivers now who can't catch a football. So moving forward, I'm going to be interesting. Look, the Las Vegas Raiders, they're in transition right now. They have a new coach. They let go of Marcus Peters, their cornerback. So they're in transition. They've got some other things to kind of work on. When you're speaking about a team in Kansas City that's going to be going to the playoffs, they're going to be playing some of the best of the best to try to get back to defend their championship. Do they have the offensive weaponry outside of Patrick Mahomes to get it done when they play uh, Baltimore? 
when they play a Jacksonville, when they play a Pittsburgh possibly, when they play a Miami team, do they have the offensive weapons to be able to succeed? We're going to see. So Somebody from that Kansas City offense, especially the wide receiver position, is going to have to uh, stand up. It's going to have to do some things. Because Kansas City all of a sudden is not going to transition to a Baltimore Ravens type of def- uh, type of offense. They're not going to transition to a ball control, three yards in a cloud of dust, handing the ball off on an equal amount of bases of passing the football. They're not going to do that. Kansas City is going to be tied to in terms of its success of letting Patrick Mahomes throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball, while also running it with Isaiah Pacheco. So which one of these receivers outside of uh, Travis Kelsey is going to be able to step up for the Kansas City football team? But right now they're 8-3. and three. Again, I'm going to be interested to see um, how they play on Sunday night against Green Bay, who's coming off an impressive victory themselves over Detroit on Thanksgiving. And not only that, they'll also have a couple of days because they played on Sunday uh on Thursday night, they'll have a couple of days to uh, rest up more than the average week in the NFL. So Kansas City coming in at number two in terms of uh, the AFC rankings so far. They're leading the AFC West. The Jacksonville Jaguars. A lot of people don't know this, right? The sneakily, the Jacksonville Jaguars are the number three team. They're the leaders of the AFC South. They're eight and three. They had probably their best game of the season or their best win of the season when they beat Houston at Houston 24-21 to take a two-game lead over the Texans. Trevor Lawrence threw for 364 yards and a touchdown. He completed 28, or excuse me, 23 of 38 passes. And uh, when you take a look at the Jaguars' record or the schedule, it really opens up pretty well for them to maintain that lead and pop in the possibility of them getting the number one seed overall in the uh, AFC. When you take a look, you have a uh, week 15, you're going to host both, uh, host um, the Ravens, or they're going to go to Baltimore and play them on the road. But you take a look at their remaining schedule. Next Monday, they play Cincinnati without Joe Burrow. Then they go and play at Cleveland without Deshaun Watson. Then to Baltimore, then road games, uh, then a road game against Tampa. And then finally, to end the season, they'll be at home against Carolina. So th- this is a situation here where you could have Jacksonville end the season 13-4, and 12-5, and five, maybe the possibility of them winning out if they can get by um, if they can get by Baltimore in maybe a trap game against Cleveland because of their defense. You take a look, Baltimore and Cleveland are the only teams with winning records. The question for me moving forward, though, with the Jacksonville Jags, in terms of how well or how strong they can be as competitors, as contenders for the uh, AFC crown is their running game. They're only averaging 104 points, 104 yards per game, averaging under four yards per carry. Their offense, as far as the running game, is ranking, ranking 18th. I have strong, um, I feel very confident about Trevor Lawrence. The steps that he's made, the improvements that he's made, the growth that he's made as a franchise NFL quarterback. I think from the quarterback position in that sense, it makes Jacksonville a contender. Not the leading contender, but a legit contender. The only thing that, again, that scares me is the fact that that running game, when they're going to need that running game, when they're going to need to take some yards off the clock in a playoff game, are they going to be able to do it when you have uh, ATN at the uh, at the running running back position. The offensive line, 
plays well or does well against pass protection. They've allowed only one sack and four quarterback hits over the past two games against uh, against the teams that they play. But the running game is going to be something for me that's going to be a concern for the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're the number three seed at eight and three, and again lead the Houston Texans in the AFC South division by a couple of games. Number four, when you take a look, the Miami Dolphins, eight and three. They beat the hapless quarterbackless. New York Jets on on uh, Black Friday. By the way, why do they call Black Friday Black Friday? Why can't we just call this Friday? Why do we have to put black in there? Why can't we just call it Friday? The Friday after Thanksgiving. Post-Friday Thanksgiving. I don't know what the fuck you call it, but really, we're going to go with black. The black. Black Friday. 34-13, to 13, they beat the Jets. They hold a two-and-a-half game lead over Buffalo. I'll talk about Buffalo in just a second. They lost their best uh, edge rusher in Jalen Phillips when he tore an Achilles tendon. But Jalen Ramsey's return has been a godsend for the Miami defense. We all know about the offense. We all know about Tua. Tua. We all know about the most explosive wide receiving core in the uh, in the NFL. We know about Tyreek Hill and his explosiveness and his impact and his ability. We know all about that. We know Mike McDaniels, Mike McDaniels in his def- in his offense and how he can create plays and all that type of stuff. Offensively, I think even though I would love to see a little bit more smash mouth, even though I would love to see a little bit more okay on fourth and one, no question about it, we're going to get the job done. And with Tua, you're always considering the fact that he's one hit away from entering concussion protocol again. I know every player is like that, but the chances for Tua, who has suffered multiple concussions throughout his young career, they are elevated a little bit higher from the quarterback position and the importance that he is for the Miami Dolphins. I still sometimes, when he gets when he gets a little bit pressured or when he takes off in the pocket, if you're a Miami Dolphin fan, you, you almost have to kind of turn, turn away or at least yell out, slide, slide, or run out of bounds, do something, or go down, go down, or some, or some nonsense like that. But offensively, if everything is on the up and up, they can remain relatively healthy. The, 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 the offense is going to be fine. The defense, though, is going to be the situation. And losing Phillips, their edge rusher, is uh, is a big blow. But again, Jalen Ramsey, the return of Jalen Ramsey, who suffered an injury in training camp and missed most of the season until he came back, uh, has been a big, big difference for the Dolphins. I, I still am kind of curious. I'm still wondering if they can beat a team with some physicality, a team that's going to beat them up. Now, the remaining schedule for Miami, when you take a look at Washington this upcoming weekend, then Tennessee, then the Jets, then Dallas, then at Baltimore and Buffalo, these last two games or the last two games of the season against Baltimore and Buffalo are going to tell us a lot in terms for my impression about what the Miami Dolphins can do moving forward in the uh, in the playoffs. So those are the four division leaders when you take a look. The number one seed overall is the Baltimore Ravens, leaders of the AFC North. You have the number two seed, Kansas City football team. They're the number two seed, which are the leaders in the AFC West. You have the Jacksonville Jaguars, two-game lead over Houston in the AFC South, and then the Miami Dolphins, a two-and-a-half-game lead over the Buffalo Bills in the AFC East. They are the number four seed. You take a look at the playoff, the uh, wildcard teams. Pittsburgh, 7-4. and four. Again, they beat Cincinnati 16-10 in the first game AC. First game AC means after Canada. 
And I'm not talking about, oh, Canada. No, I'm not talking about Vancouver. I'm not talking about uh, Toronto. I'm not talking about Lisa Lips. I'm not talking about Melissa Ford, Canada. I'm talking about Matt Canada, the offensive coordinator for the my, uh, for the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, who was let go earlier in the week. Again, the 16 points were below the scoring average. But again, for the first time in 50, the first time in 58 games, which constitutes almost, what, three seasons? They had over 400 yards of offense. So good, good thing, bad thing, whatever. So Mike Sullivan is a new play caller. So let's see if they can get that going again because they have a defense which is good enough to where they don't need to be explosive, but they need to put more than 16 points on the board. Cleveland, 7-4. and four. They lost to Denver, 29-12 on Sunday. Dorian Thompson-Robinson suffered a concussion and left the game. I want to get into uh, Denver a little bit later on. Man, because always, always, oh, hold on for a second. I'll get back. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'll get back to, uh, I'll get back to Cleveland in just a second. But I want to talk about the Denver Broncos because how many of us, and I'm raising my hand right now, how many of us after they lost the ball to, uh, to uh, Miami 70 to 20, how many of us said this is a disaster? Denver is going to be a disaster. They're going to be a joke. They are going to be a clown show. Vance Joseph is, should never work in the NFL again anywhere near a defense. Sean Payton has lost his touch. Nathaniel Atkin is clowning on him all over the place. Uh, Russell Wilson is washed up. He's gone. He's dead. This is going to go down as one of the worst trades in NFL history in terms of what he's meant for the uh, Denver Broncos. All of that was being said. All of that was being written. All of that was written, going to be written on the tombstone of the Denver Broncos 2023 NFL season. Look at them now. Look at them now. I'll get to Denver again in just a quick second, but getting back to uh, Cleveland, who lost to them 29-12. Again, P.J. Walker finished the game for Denver. And as I mentioned before, when speaking about the Baltimore Ravens and speaking about breaking down the uh, contenders in the AFC North, I take a look at Cleveland. And again, Miles Garrett, who should be the front runner to win um, Defensive Player of the Year, and the rest of that defense for Cleveland, Jim Sports, it may be getting himself in the position to maybe get an opportunity to get another head coaching job with a job that he's done on defense for the uh, Browns as their defensive coordinator. But uh, again, I just don't see the offense doing anything. When you lose Nick Chubb for the season, when you lose Deshaun Watson for the season with various injuries, it makes it very hard for Cleveland to really do anything. They might sneak in because of their defense to the playoff, but once they get there, I just really don't see them doing anything. But they're they're still in the playoff hunt. They're still there. The playoff, the season ended today. Hey, 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 hey. They would still be there. How about this? How about this? I, I really don't have too much to say about this other team. That's the number seven seed. Because you take a look at the wild card. The, the number five seed is Pittsburgh. The number six seed is Cleveland. The number seven seed, the Indianapolis Colts. Can you tell me anything about them? Because I really, outside of Jacksonville and Houston, I really haven't been paying too much attention to the Indianapolis Colts, especially since Anthony Richardson went down with season-ending shoulder injury. So can anybody tell me what's going on with them? Gardner Minshew, I know with the quarterback, and I know Jonathan Taylor is going to undergo thumb surgery. It's going to miss multiple weeks. This was reported by Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network. No decision has been made on as to whether Taylor will be placed on injured reserve, which would guarantee he would miss 
at least four seasons. A decision will be made later this week. And when you speak about the bell cow or the offensive responsibility that Taylor had going back a couple of years or last year or when he was uh, when he at one time with the front runner in the MVP race after a banner game he had against New England, um, he was getting himself back into tip-top elite status when you take a look at the past of two weeks having a career-high 23 carries for 69 yards and a touchdown and a win over the New England Patriots. Then, on Sunday, a season-best 91 yards and two scores on 15 carries carries in the win over Tampa Bay. So, man, moving forward, Gardner Minshew, if he's going to have to uh, have more responsibilities, that might uh, not be advantageous for the Colts moving forward. So, on the outside looking in, so those, so, so those, basically, before I go on, so those are the seven playoff spots, right? You have Baltimore, you have Kansas City, you have Jacksonville, you have Miami, you have Pittsburgh, Cleveland, and then you have the Indianapolis Colts. On the outside looking in, you have the Houston Texans. I was lamenting, I was going over, I was gushing, I was flowing with praise. The Houston Texans, um, last my last podcast, when they beat the Cincinnati Bengals and then they moved it to the playoff spot and they, they, they're still a team that the fact that they're being competitive, the fact that they're being talked about, the, pack, the fact that they're still 11, 12 games into the season, they're still being considered in terms of a team that can make the playoffs, that's, 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 that's unbelievable. That's fantastic. Whether they make the playoffs or not, whether they finish a record with 8-9 and nine or 9-8 nine and eight or 7-10 and 10 or 10-7, and seven, whatever, the fact of the strides that they made and and the fact that they seem to have a franchise quarterback in C.J. Stroud should make Houston Texans fans quite giddy. Their defense has to get better. Their number three pick, they have, remember the NFL draft, this past NFL draft, they had the number two pick and they had the number three pick. So they picked C.J. Stroud with the number two pick. And then they picked out of Alabama pass rusher Will Anderson. So the defense still is ranked somewhere around 27th. So they're going to have to clean that up. DeMarco D'Amico Ryan, the head coach with a defensive background, you know what he did with the San Francisco 49ers defense uh, this past couple of seasons or the the, the previous seasons with the 49ers. But, uh, you know, the fact that they have the most important piece in place with C.J. Stroud makes the outlook for the Houston Texans very, very bright. The expectations for the uh, for Houston has far succeeded anyone's wildest dreams. So again, the fact that they're even in the running, the fact that we're even talking about there were a 58-yard field goal doink away from going into overtime against the Jacksonville Jaguars, the ascension, the improvements that were made from the last, from last year, the last three years to this year should be... Uh, having the Houston Texans fans sing a soulful, happy, happy song because he's happy like Pharrell. So Stroud threw for, uh, threw for 304 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, the three-game winning streak was snapped. But look, Stroud, 3,200 yards passing this season. It's going to move him past. He already moved past Justin Herbert for the most in NFL history for a rookie by the for uh, in the first 11 games. He also became the first rookie in NFL history. A throw for 300 yards in four consecutive games. Yes, I know the deep. I know the way defenses play. I know that the game, the way the game is played, is much easier for any quarterback to put up those gaudy numbers. But again, we're talking about a rookie. We're talking about a guy in C.J. Stroud who I don't think any of us thought was going to be that impactful 
um, through the first 11 games of his rookie season. As I mentioned before about the defense, going into Week 9 against Tampa, they ranked 8th in scoring defense, but since then, they've fallen all the way down to 14th, now giving up 21 points a game. So they went in a couple of weeks from 18 points a game to 21 points a game. And I mentioned before, defense is currently ranked 27th overall in the league. So moving forward, for this playoff race, and everything right now is gravy, man. Everything right now with the Houston Texans is gravy. Whether we're talking about gaining experience, whether we're talking about improvement, not improvement, playing meaningful games when the when the month turns to December, fighting for playoff spot, all of those things. Um, in terms of uh, excitement in the city of Houston for their football team, all of that stuff, it's all gravy, man. It is definitely all gravy. As I mentioned before, the Denver Broncos, winners of five straight. Winners of five straight. They went from one and five to now six and five. Let me see. They started off the season one and five. They won five straight games. How many games have they won this season, class? Okay, so let's put down one, five. They've won five straight. Okay, what would be the answer? No, they're not one in ten. What's the answer? Again, they're 1-5. They've won five straight games, so their current record total is... No, it's not 3-11. How fucking stupid are you? Come on, man. They're 6-5. I don't blame the school district. I blame the parents. 6-5. Defense has been the key to over the winning streak. The Broncos have 16 takeaways during the win streak, 15 in the past four games. They've given up fewer touchdowns in the past six games combined, which is nine than they did in their loss to the Dolphins, 70-20. to After giving up 70 points to Miami, the defense has allowed 80 combined points to the Packers, the Chiefs, the Bills, the Vikings, and the Browns. Those five teams have a combined record of 54-31 and 31 in 2022, and all five of those teams are currently in the playoff hunt in 2023. Go ahead, Vance Johnson. Huh? Yeah, go ahead, Vance Johnson. Huh? Yeah, y'all up there talking smack. Y'all up there talking junk. Vance Johnson, how can a man keep his job? After the <clears throat> after the Miami Dolphins gave up seven, after the Miami Dolphins put 70 points on the Denver Broncos, everybody's looking at each other saying, how can that man still have his job, right? It's almost a necessity. It's almost guaranteed that after giving up 70 points in one game, in a game where if the Dolphins wanted to, they probably could have put up a couple of more touchdowns. And a game like that, how does Vance Joseph still keep his job? Well, I don't know what he said. I don't know what he did. I don't know if he put in new schemes. I don't know if he tra- challenged their manhood. I don't know what he did. But man, that he kudos. That that should be looked on in terms of I'm sorry, I'm gonna say it. Head coaching material. And you can sit there and say 70 in one game. That should exclude him from even being mentioned to be coaching a flipping peewee football team at their defensive coordinator. After giving up 70 points in one game, the only thing that Vance Joseph should have been uh, recommended for at the job is to pass out orange slices to the losing teams at their local peewee football leagues. But no. Vance Joseph turned things around. Vance Joseph has done a fabulous job. Vance Joseph needs to be getting more kudos, needs to be getting more high fives, needs to be getting more handshakes, needs to be getting more slaps on the back for the job that he did. And Sean Payton also. 
Sean Payton, the reemergence of Russell Wilson. We all knew what Russell Wilson put down. We all know what he put on tape and on his resume with Nathaniel Hackett. But uh, he's taking care of business. His 20 touchdown to four interception ratio is the best in the NFL. He's still throwing a deep, long ball. I think that he's uh, really nicely included the short passing game with the long balls. Uh, the Sutton, who's been a uh, go-to receiver for him. But, uh, yeah, look, they're remaining scheduled. We'll, we'll find out a lot more about both Denver and Houston when they meet uh, this upcoming Sunday. They'll be at Houston, then they're at the Chargers, they're at Detroit, and then they end with New England. So, great turnaround by the um, by the Denver Broncos. The perplexing Buffalo Bills, 6-6. Six and six. Ooh, I don't know what to say about these guys, man, except that they cannot win... They cannot win the close games. I mean, they're the typical, hey, you know what? They're closer to being 9-3 than they are 6-6. Six and six. True, but you are what your record is. In one-score games, they're 2-6 this season. In the games that they won comfortably, they're holding a 101-point differential through 12 games, which is the best in the league. So either they're going to blow you out or they're going to lose a close game. Game against the Eagles, look, man, I mean, 37-34, they were in control of that football game. Just little things, man. Two missed field goal attempts. Josh Allen throwing a fourth-quarter interception. Few defensive breakdowns, some bad luck on the fumble, non-fumble, whatever you want to call that. Referees coming into the play. And the miscommunication with Gabe Davis on the throw in overtime, which should have been a touchdown. The Bills this season are the ultimate woulda, coulda, shoulda. They almost, I, I watched that game, I believe, I believe on Sunday night against the uh, Denver Broncos. Man, they, they didn't want to win that game. They didn't want to win that game. They did everything as humanly possible to lose that game, and they lost that game. I, I don't know. I mean, everybody now is kind of pointing towards Sean McDermott, you know, in terms of what's happening with you losing these close ball games. The offense, while strong, statistically, one of the best in the league, top two or three. They've been inconsistent. Josh Allen mixing in poor decisions, mixing, mixing in untimely turnovers along with brilliant play. Uh, you know, new, new play caller was supposed to uh, change everything around, but I think it just goes a little bit deeper than that. So with Buffalo, I, I don't, if they don't make, again, as I mentioned before, if they don't make the playoffs, this was supposed to be a team that was supposed to be competing for not just getting into the playoffs, but winning a championship. And I'm not just talking about a conference championship. I'm talking about winning a Super Bowl. And now we see them on the outside looking in with five games left to play and a couple of teams above them in terms of their opportunity. Now, now the, the pathway is there. Based on pedigree, based on talent, based on experience, I mean, if you had to pick a game or you had to choose a game or you had to uh, deduce or decide or evaluate which teams are better when you talk about is it either going to be Buffalo or is it going to be Denver? Is it going to be Buffalo or is it going to be Houston? Is it going to be Buffalo or is it going to be Cleveland? Is it Buffalo or is it, ever, is, or is it going to be Pittsburgh? You put all of those teams which happen to be ahead of Buffalo in terms of the playoff picture is concerned and you say, which one of those teams is better? Buffalo, Cleveland, Buffalo, Pittsburgh, Buffalo, Houston, Buffalo, Denver, Buffalo, Indianapolis. I'm quite sure that you would say Buffalo, a, a, a non 
a, a non-fan of any of those teams would probably say Buffalo. But again, they haven't shown it. Again, they haven't been consistent enough. So Buffalo has got to get in in gear because if they don't make the playoffs, let alone winning a championship or reaching expectations, what does that mean for the coaching staff? What does that mean for some of his players outside of Stephon Diggs and um, Josh Allen? Because you can take a look at the defensive defenses on uh, Buffalo's side and talk about Tredavious White and others uh, being injured and those type of things. doesn't make any difference. It's a win-loss league. And if you don't make the playoffs for Buffalo, I would expect some uh, changes to be happening. Major? I don't know. But speaking with the coach, he might be in a little bit of trouble. So you have that. Cincinnati still 5-6. and six. Outside looking in, and then when you take a look at the teams which have basically slim to no chance of making the playoffs, you take a look at the Raiders at 5-7, and seven. the Chargers, speaking of a team that's going to need a coach and have the ability to adjust to, uh, to uh, coach uh, Justin Herbert, the way the Chargers are going, I don't know what Brandon Staley, I don't know what's going to keep him from uh, not being fired if the Chargers continue to go in the direction that they're going, but they're 4-7, and seven. Tennessee is 4-7, and seven. the Jets are four and seven. New England's two and nine. Did you hear this nonsense speaking about the Jets, about uh, Aaron Rodgers? Twenty-one now. He's cleared to practice and everything. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't. No. 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 I don't know why. Possibly you would try to target Aaron Rodgers. Let's just say, for instance, he's three weeks away from being able, being cleared to play. Whatever. So we're speaking about week 14, 14, 15, 16, 14, 15, 16. So let's, let's say, for instance, for the last three or four games of the season, he's able to play. Do you play Aaron Rodgers by, by week 14 or by game 15 of the season, the Jets are 5-10 and 10, or the Jets are 4-11 and 11, or the Jets are 6-9 and nine and have no chance or a very slim chance to make the playoffs. Do you then go ahead and play Aaron Aaron Rodgers? I say no. I say no. Hey, congratulations, Aaron. Miraculous job from coming back from a torn Achilles. Awesome, fantastic, wonderful. Maybe I can see some of the reason to get some of the rust off. You haven't played the entire season. Go out there, see what you can do, this, that, and the other. You know, I mean, hey, age be damned and all that kind of stuff. Let's see what you've got. Let's see what the, the, Aaron Rodgers is going to be the starting quarterback or Aaron Rodgers is penciled. Aaron Rodgers is projected to be the starting quarterback for the 2024 season. Why do we need to see him for a couple of games in 2023? Games that are meaningless. Again, if, if I had to, and maybe this is a situation where, look, if you're, maybe you owe it to the, the, the fan base, the ticket holders, whatever, to put him out there for for a couple of games to see what you got, to give these guys hope. Maybe Aaron Rodgers comes in and he's better than expected, which gives the Jets momentum, which gives the Jets good vibes, which gives the Jets uh, positive attitudes, positive feelings going into the offseason. That, man, if we get this Aaron Rodgers back for next season with a full season, then we'll be able to compete. We'll be able to uh, try to uh, reach the expectations that were placed upon us this season. But uh, I wouldn't do it, man. And yeah, I'm going to throw ageism in here. The man's going to be 40 years old. The man suffered an Achilles tendon tear. I'm not doing it. I'm giving that man the entire season and the off season to get it right. Make sure, 100%. Because he's cleared to play. What does that mean? I'm not a doctor and I don't play one on the podcast. But when you say he's cleared to play, does that mean that he just reached the minimum threshold for him to be cleared to play? 
I want Aaron Rodgers at 100%. I want Aaron Rodgers mentally, physically, with the injury, this, that, and the other, at 100%. Not 75%, not 85%, not 99.6453874%. I need Aaron Rodgers at 100% healthy before I put him back on the football field. It means too much to the organization. He means too much for the future, the near future of the organization for me to be messing around with that stuff. And again, I always go back to Jerry Rice in terms of uh, the accident or the um, injury that he had. When he, tried to, when he came back, um, he, I, think he, I think he tore his ACL in the first game against Tampa Bay. And then he came back for a Monday night football game in Detroit or something like that and then dislocated his kneecap catching a touchdown pass. And Jerry Rice was in the advanced stages of his, of his career. Medicine is different. Training is different. I understand that. Get all that. But uh, I'm going to side on caution and just say, hey, look, man, it's a lost season for the Jets. Let's see what we can do coming back uh, for next season and have you rip-roaring ready to go. So that's the picture in the uh, AFC. And, oh, yes, the New England Patriots stink and need a quarterback. So there you go. There you go. All right, man. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to get me some respect. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to boogie. I'm going to go ahead and listen to and get myself replenished and get myself rip-roaring, ready to go by listening to the greatest, listening to the legendary, listening to the one and only, listening to the American icon, Otis Redding. And when I get back, after I finish boogieing, after I finish showing my loved ones some respect, we're going to go ahead and talk about the NFC, um, the NFC division. Talk about the Eagles. Are they the best team in the NFL? Talk about the San Francisco 49ers. Are they the best team, not only in the NFC, but in the NFL? Talk about the Dallas Cowboys. Are they legit? And talk about my Washington Commanders. Players are re- are re- re- rebelling against Eric Bieniemy. Get those fucking losers out of here ASAP for that bullshit and that nonsense. He's being too hard on us. And you wonder why the Washington Commanders, why my Washington Commanders have been so inept, so incompetent for so long. Yes, a lot of it had to do with the ownership, but take a look. Take, just, 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 when I read this story about these players griping about Eric Bieniemy doing being too hard on them, Eric Bieniemy, a man with a couple of Super Bowl rings, who's being vouched for in terms of his effectiveness and how great he is as a coach by Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and such, and Andy Reid. And we have these guys in Washington who haven't done jack shit talking about he's being too hard on us, my team. Oh, between the Commanders and the Wizards. Oh, why couldn't I have been born somewhere else? That's right, because the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area is the best place to live, grow up, and raise your children and die, which hopefully I'll be doing all of those things. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. Otis, give these fools some respect.
the greatest of them all. Absolutely the greatest of them all. The legendary, the American icon, the one and only Otis Redding. Normally, I would do a podcast, and um, I'm not going to be able to do this because on the day of his death, I will be in Los Angeles with my main man, with my man Wex. We are going to be taking in a Chargers football game. I've never seen SoFi Stadium, or I've never been in SoFi Stadium. So we're going to go watch the uh, Chargers play the Broncos. And then after that, the next day, I'm going to go to, uh, I'm going to go to uh, formerly known as the uh, Staples Center, the uh, Crypto Center, the Crypto Arena, and watch the uh, Los Angeles Clippers play the Portland uh, Trailblazers. So that's going to be my adventure to break up the uh, day-to-day boredom that inflicts me so far by uh, going off and doing that adventure, crossing two things off my bucket list in terms of going into crypto. I've never done that before. And uh, also SoFi, I want to take a look. That's one of the last remaining stadiums that uh, I want to uh, see unless, I don't know, maybe maybe go to Jerry World and take a look at that. But for the most part, I'm excited about that. So on December 10th, that's where I'll be. But normally on December 10th, I normally do a podcast because two American greats, two American icons, two American legends, two American uh, two Americans that should be spoke about. Their stories should be known. Sam Cooke and Otis Redding basically died. Now, they say that Sam Cooke died the night, the night of... December 10th he was really he was really shot he was really murdered on December 11th but everybody in the morning early morning hours of December 11th but the circumstances that led to his death started on December 10th and notice running at 328 in the afternoon in Wisconsin over Madison Wisconsin his plane went down in the Lake Monoma on December 10th they found the body uh, the next day, December 11th. But uh, so maybe I'll do something on December 11th. I don't know, but uh, yeah, man. Those for for the kids out there, for the kids that I used to teach, for the kids I used to substitute for, uh, learn, learn very much, learn. December 10th, Otis Redding and Sam Cook. So the greatest of them all. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. I broke down the AFC a little bit now. Let me go ahead and speak about the NFC because we got the division leaders. We're going to speak about the best team in the NFL. What do you think, huh? Best team in the NFL, the Philadelphia Eagles, 10-1, and the number one overall seed that the season ended today. The most impressive wins, I think, as far as this stretch is concerned, made me another team which has had wins, um... As impressive as the Philadelphia Eagles, when you speak about going on the road on a Monday night to beat Kansas City, then coming back to beat Buffalo, the most impressive win, but still there's some questions to remain. Even Jalen Hurts himself said that. Great wins, wonderful wins, but we're still not playing our best. And if you're the Philadelphia Eagle fan base, that would be the one nagging thing through all of this. Yes, the win against Kansas City. Yes, the win against Buffalo. Yes, the win against Dallas. Yes, the, the fact that you're 10-1. and Yes, the fact that uh, you have the best record. Yes, that the uh, quarterback play has gotten better after coming off the bye week with Jalen Hurts. He seemed to have... Um, it, it seemed to have made a positive impact in terms of the time off that he needed to uh, to uh, recoup and regroup and regroup and to uh, fix some of the things that were ailing him physically. All of those things are fantastic, wonderful, glass half full, but their uneven play it should be worrisome. 
Because we know there's always a good chance. One thing that we know in the NFL is that the regular season in terms of the record is concerned, that doesn't guarantee success in the playoffs. And I'm not just talking about winning the whole doggone thing. I'm talking about getting out of the first round. How many times during a 16-game schedule that we've seen teams that have finished this regular season 15-1, and 14-2, that have been dominant, that have been, quote-unquote, the best team in the power rankings to end the season? How many times have we seen that team lose their first game? How many times have we seen that team lose at home in the first round of the playoff against a team that for the last four or five weeks, for the last six weeks, have been playing every game like they know if they lose this game that their chances of making the playoffs are over with. So they come into the playoffs already with that hunger. They already come into the playoffs with that desperation. They already come into the playoffs with that mindset. And if you have a team that's been, I will not want to say the word, Cruising like on Smokey Robinson, cruising when we're cruising together. But when you come into a team or when you have a team that has been highly successful and they've only lost two games and this, that, and the other, and they don't have that mindset because they know that um, their place is set. So all of a sudden they start resting guys a little bit more. Now all of a sudden for the last game of this regular season that they've rested their players and they don't get that much playing time. So, and then after that, they have a bye. So, for the most part, a lot of their important starters have been played in two weeks. And then they come in playing a team that's full of momentum, that's full of vigor, that's full of fire, that's full of energy, that's full of passion. Those things happen. So, with the Philadelphia Eagles, look, they're 10-1. and one. I don't think that Nick Sirianni is going to take the foot off the pedal in terms of taking it all the way off the pedal. But let's just say, for instance, the way that the Philadelphia Eagles are playing right now, can they afford to, I don't know, maybe play the long term in terms of, look, we got the players who are hurting, we got the players who are not 100%, we got the players who could use a day off or use the, this game off, or, you know, we're coming down to the last week of the season and our place at the number one seed or the bye week is secured. So for Jalen Hurts and others, I'm going to have them take this day off because this game is going to be meaningless. Do you want to put the Philadelphia Eagles, if you're the head coach Sirianni, if, do you want to put the Philadelphia Eagles in that mindset? Because these guys have been playing with dynamite and you never know on any given, any given Sunday, that dynamite might go boom. The Eagles were down by 10 points in the third quarter against Kansas City. Should have lost that game. They were down 10 points to the Buffalo Bills on Sunday. Should have lost that game. Call it luck. Call it uh, fortunate, whatever. When you speak about Scanling dropping that football and Gabe Davis and Gabe Davis and Josh Allen not uh, connecting on a should have been touchdown pass. But the pass defense and takeaways could be a problem. When you're speaking again about on any given Sunday, you never know what can happen. The defense ranks 30 against the run. Yeah, they allow 85 points a game, but compared to that, they're 29th in the league in the past. They're giving up 255 yards. What's happening if they play a red-hot Dak Prescott? Philadelphia has yielded the second most passing touchdowns in the NFL, 23, and is in the bottom half of the league in takeaways, 14. So are you going to be relying on other people's misfortune 
Is this a situation where it is a legit problem in terms of the Eagles starting slowly before finally getting the momentum, finally getting the engines running to um, catch and pass the competition during a game? Is it, is it based on someone else's misfortune, another team's misfortune, bad breaks, all those type of things? Because sooner or later, those things are going to even out. And when they do even out, is it going to be the championship game, the conference championship game? Is it going to be the first round in the divisional playoff against maybe a team like, well, I think Minnesota's out of it, but maybe a team like the Dallas Cowboys? Maybe a team like the Atlanta Falcons? Maybe a team like the Green Bay Packers? Maybe a team like, I don't know, like, 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 like Dallas? I don't know. It'll be interesting. Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts, the MVP. Statistics say no. Importance say yes. <laughs> well, I mean, what, what do we talk about when we talk about MVPs? Give me a new story. Don't give me Patrick Mahomes' brilliance. He's already won a couple of MVP. He bores me. He's not living up to the expectations or his, he's not living up to MVP type caliber. At see them throw for 5,000 yards so call me back when he throws for 6,000 then we might give him another one in Kansas City's rocking and rolling we're always looking for the brand new toys we're always looking for the brand new story we're always looking for something that's going to interest us right well couldn't Jalen Hurts be that guy doesn't Jalen Hurts have a story that warrants our attention the fact that the man is the quarterback as important that he as important that he is to a team that is, has the best record in the NFL now, look, statistics-wise, he completed 18 to 31 passes for 200 yards and three touchdowns against Buffalo, along with two rushing touchdowns, including the game winner. 18 for 31, 200. Yeah, I guess the uh, Kansas City football team, how was his performance? Yeah, he brought him back, this, that, and the other. But yeah, you know, yeah. Take a look at the statistics for the season. 2,600, 2,700 passing yards. He's averaging 245 yards per game. Yeah, that's, 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 that's fine. He's completing 67% of his passes with 18 touchdowns and 10 interceptions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 114 carries for 410 yards and 11 touchdowns. Yeah, that's, that's fine. Yeah, mm-hmm. great. Yeah, those aren't eye-popping. Those aren't eye-catching. Are we really going to give the MVP to, for that? I mean, if we're going to consider that, if we're going to consider Jalen Hurts, then shouldn't we consider also Brock Purdy? Speaking of Brock Purdy, hey, San Francisco, the number two seed, eight and three. Beat Seattle, beat Seattle on Thanksgiving Day, Seattle on Thanksgiving Day, 31 to 13. Christian McCaffrey, 100 yards rushing, scored twice in the first half. San Francisco limited the Seahawks to 220 yards of offense. They turned the uh, Seahawks into uh, Tuna. Stosky. The 49ers dominated the NFC West lately, winning 10 straight games. The team has completely realigned itself after a three-game losing streak, a.k.a. they got their starters back, Trent Williams, Debu Samuels, Christian McCaffrey, Winning the last three games by double digits. Chase Young has made an immediate impact. Thanks, Commanders. He's made an immediate impact. Three games with the 49ers. He's posted one and a half sacks, three tackles, one tackle for loss, three quarterback hits. Joey Bosa is right now doing the boogaloo, thanking Jesus for the opportunity 
for Washington's ineptitude and willing to rebuild to uh, have him paired with his Ohio State brethren, Chase Young. So 49ers on both sides of the ball look ready to go. They seem to be relatively healthy. Purdy has come back from a little midseason slump. He's playing well. This upcoming weekend, they're going to go on the road to Philadelphia. That's going to be the new game of the year. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. We'll see what's going on with that. It's going to be physical versus physical. So I'm looking forward um, to, to uh, seeing that game. And basically, we already talked about two possible MVP candidates that really don't look, as far as statistically is concerned, like MVP candidates, Purdy and Jalen Hurts. Remember what I told you about the new shiny toy? Remember what I told you about the attention span of folks who vote for the MVP? We're always looking for something new. We're always looking for something fresh. We're always looking for something that will uh, that we've that uh, that that's going to attract the attention of other people. Purdy, the story of Brock Purdy, Mister Irrelevant, Irrelevant, last one pick, blah blah blah. Purdy and Hertz for the MVP, a game that could have some MVP um, that could have some MVP ramifications. Interesting. Interesting. And again, speaking about the possibility of an NFC championship game, let's see if the Philadelphia Eagles come out slowly against the um, San Francisco 49ers. What's going to be their mindset? And this is going to be a situation that couldn't be a situation where the competition that they're playing because you can't be lethargic and not respect the Kansas City football team and the Buffalo Bills if you're Philadelphia. So it's not a matter of we took them too lightly. At least I hope that isn't the case. So we'll we'll see what happens in this game against uh against uh San Francisco. So strength on strength. It'll be interesting to see. Coming in at number three, the Detroit Lions lost on Thanksgiving Day to Green Bay twenty nine to twenty two. They're still number three. Should the Lions really be con- concerned about Jared Goff? If we're speaking about the Lions being the um, being the um, being contenders. Should we be concerned about the play of Jared Goff? For the second straight game, he struggled with turnovers. Against Green Bay, he lost three fumbles for the first time in his career after throwing three picks on Sunday before against the Chicago Bears. Now, luckily, because they were playing the Chicago Bears, they were fortunate to win that game. But uh, this is a situation where this should be kind of concerning just to take a look at. I'm not saying that Jared Goff is going to revert back to the Jared Goff, which made him available for the Detroit Lions when Sean McVay said that I don't think we can win a Super Bowl with McVay. We can win a Super Bowl with Matthew Stafford, which they did. But basically, they gave up on the number one pick uh, when he was drafted. Jared Goff went and, you could say, resuscitated his career with the uh, fighting Dan Campbells and the Detroit Lions. But are we now starting to see Jared Goff go back to the quarterback, which made him expendable in the first place? And if we are, even though you have a fantastic offensive coordinator and you have skilled players at the quarterback, excuse me, at the running back and wide receiver position, what does that mean for the Detroit Lions moving forward? How much should we keep these losses even though Campbell's like, hey, look, man, I ain't sweating. I'm not going to be, you know, hollering and hooping. I'm not I'm not panicking about this stuff. This stuff happens. And true, the Detroit Lions were never going to uh, go, the Detroit Lions were never going to go 16-1 or 15-2. And, and every team had the bad loss. Every team had the bad loss. Every team goes through stretches where they're not playing well. 
during the season. Yes, even those who win a Super Bowl. So I can maybe see Dan Campbell's mindset in terms of, you know, I'm not, not going to panic in this situation. But I will say this. How much should we take of this loss to Green Bay at home? Thanksgiving. So you know that they were pumped up, ready to play. How much should we take in terms of their getting blown out by Baltimore on the road? Which really put uh, the spotlight on Baltimore and Lamar Jackson, which really hasn't been taken off just yet. You could say really catapulted Baltimore to where they are in terms of the level that people think of them being contenders to win a championship. That all started with their impressive win over the Detroit Lions. So are we going to how much are we going to take the heed of Dan Campbell to say, hey, look, man, we're eight and three, we're five, this, that, and the other. And how much are we going to say, yeah, but you know what? The way Jared Goff has been playing, the best team that you played got you got blown out, and now you have a defense that for the second year in a row is ranked near the bottom when you speak about giving up yards per game and and um, allowing touchdowns in the red zone, which is the third worst in the league because they're allowing 68% of the teams in the red zone to score touchdowns. So how much is that going to be a burden? How much is that going to come into play? How much should we take in terms of gospel when we say the Lions are fine? compared to the Lions are in trouble. So there you go. So taking a look at the first three teams, the top three teams, the division leaders in the NFC, number one, the Philadelphia Eagles coming in at number 10, leaders of the NFC East, 10 and one, the number two seed, San Francisco 49ers, leaders in the NFC West at eight and three, and then the number three team in the conference, Detroit Lion, eight and three. They're the number three team. Look, the number four team... I have really nothing to say about the Atlanta Falcons. They beat New Orleans 24-15. The only reason why we have to discuss them, really, is because of the division that they play in. When you take a look at the AFC, the NFC South standings, Atlanta and the New Orleans Saints tied for number one at 5-6. and six. Tampa Bay is 4-7. and seven. Carolina is 1-10 and, and just fired his 200th coach under Dave Tepper. So, you know, Desmond Ritter, not the quarterback. This is completely irrelevant. This is completely nonsensical. Either one of these. And now, at least with New Orleans, they still have some remnants of a defense that might possibly, on a bad day, if they make the playoff, give a wildcard team or give um, the Cowboys or whoever or the Eagles some, some trouble, some frets, some annoyance, some, uh, some one of those things. But Atlanta, come on, man, Desmond Ritter. This guy should be more interested in seeing what they can do to find a quarterback trying to, rather than trying to make the playoffs. And yes, I know those guys play for paychecks and jobs and you can't tank. But if I'm an Atlanta Falcon fan, I have no desire to see the Atlanta Falcons win this crappy division and then go into the uh, playoffs and get themselves blown out while starting either Desmond Ritter or Taylor Haneke at the quarterback position. So, wild cards. So, we have the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas Cowboys, many people, when you check their power rankings, they're in the number, they're in the top five in terms of the uh, top teams in the NFL, right? Power rankings. Normally, it goes um, Philadelphia, then it'll go maybe uh, San Francisco, and then Baltimore, and then um, and then Kansas City. And then right around the five or six range, we have the Dallas Cowboys. Dak Prescott playing like he wants to make $52 million uh, next season or 57 or whatever his contract calls for. After that game in which he got clowned, in which the team, Dallas, got clowned by the San Francisco 49ers 42-10, to Dak Prescott has been playing like an MVP candidate. Yes, Dak Prescott has been playing like an MVP candidate. 
You didn't hear me? Well, then let me tell you one more time. Dak Prescott, over the past six games, in which Dallas has outscored their opponents by an average of 30 points, has been playing like an MVP candidate, averaging over 300 yards per game passing with 18 touchdowns and only two interceptions. Remember the bugaboo that he was dealing with in terms of interceptions last season? Past six games, he's been great. And the Cowboys are averaging over 30 points per game. So you have a defense in which their only playmaker is not Michael Parsons. If you take a look at cornerback uh, Deron Bland, who broke an NFL record by recording his, what, fifth pick six of the season in the game against Washington. So it seems on paper, it seems from the eye test that Dallas has a good squad, but wait a minute. Let's read the fine, fine print. Wait a minute. Let's put a microscope on this. Wait a minute. Let's dig a little bit deeper. Let's look. Let's take a look at the eight and three Cowboys and the eight victories that they've had. Are they kind of like the Michigan Wolverines of college football? And when you take a look at the victories that Michigan, and when you take a look at the game, the the um, opponents that that Dallas has played and beaten. When you're speaking about, they beat the Giants twice. They beat the Jets, the Patriots, the Chargers, the Rams, Carolina, and Washington. Those those are their eight victories. The New York Giants, not once but twice. The New York Jets, the Zach Wilson New York Jets, the Mac Jones New England Patriots, the faltering, flailing Los Angeles Chargers, in which that was a competitive game, the LA Rams, the 1-10 Bryce Young-led Carolina Panthers, and the we've already quit on the season and on our offensive coordinator and coach Washington Commanders for uh, Thanksgiving. So those combined records, when you take a look at the Giants, the Jets, the Patriots, the Chargers, the Rams, the Panthers, and the Commanders, their records combined, 24 and 55. <laughs> so when I say, are they the Michigan Wolverines of pro football, right right before the um, right before the game against Ohio State, right? Who in the hell had Michigan beaten? Now, you can sit there and say, how good is Michigan? We don't know because we really can't get a good temperature. We really can't get a good resolve. We really can't get a good read on how good Michigan is when they're beating the Rutgers and the Indianas and the UNLVs of the world. Oh, okay. They, they look great. They look dominant. They're doing what they're, they're supposed to do if they're going to play teams of such low caliber. But until they play a team worthy of their attention, worthy of their stress, worthy of their respect, then I can't sit there and say Michigan is great and awesome because you blew out Rutgers or you blew out Northwestern. Big flip and deal. Let me know when you play Ohio State. Oh, okay, they did play Ohio State and they won. Okay, they're legit. Even though I have some question marks about Ohio State also. I'll get into that in the next segment. But that going now, that, 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 that equates with the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, Dallas did what they had to do. And they did it very, very impressively. Yeah, you're playing a sorry team like the New York Giants, you better blow them out, they blow them out. You're playing a sorry team like the New York Jets, you better blow them out, they blow them out. You're, giving, you're playing a team that's already quit on the season in the Washington Commanders, you better blow them out, they blow them out. You're, you're playing a team that's 1-10 and and is in complete turmoil like the, the uh, Carolina Panthers, half-heartedly, you better blow them out, they blow them out. But when you take a look at the three losses this season... Okay, let's throw Arizona away. That was in week three. Big deal. This, that, and the other. I don't really care about that. But when you speak about them losing to Arizona, all right, but also Philadelphia and San Francisco, 
and you take a look at those teams, all of a sudden now, again, how much stock should we put on the teams that they beat compared to the teams that they lost to? Namely, Philadelphia and San Francisco. You realize that the Cowboys have yet to uh, advance past the divisional round in the playoffs since they last won a Super Bowl in 1995, right? right so so if, if we had to go ahead based on history, say which one is of greater importance or which one should we read into greater in terms of the teams that they beat or the teams that they've lost to based on their history where, yeah, they haven't won, they haven't advanced past the divisional round in the playoffs since 1995, and I think since then they might have only won one or two playoff games. There's been some seasons where the Cowboys were 13-3 and and lost in the first round. There's been some teams, there's been some seasons where the Cowboys' expectations were to make it to the Super Bowl and they didn't get there. So if we're speaking about the Jerry Jones GM owner-led Dallas Cowboys, and we're going to try to equate, or we're trying to break down, we're trying to surmise, we're trying to come up with a reason or come up with a conclusion. Are the Cowboys going to underachieve? Are the, is the Cowboys' success a mirage or legit? Are they truly Michigan of this season, blah, blah, blah? That's going to be a situation where, yeah, man, we're going to have to kind of wait and see, but I would be kind of counting on this season, just a little bit different. Just a little bit different. So, you have the Seahawks coming in at 6-5. and five. You have Minnesota at 6-6. Six and six. Bad, loss for, uh, bad loss for the Vikings losing to the Chicago Bears at home 12-10. to 10. Josh Dobbs threw four interceptions. And a tweet from Adam Schefter after the game talking about the Vikings will evaluate their quarterback position during their upcoming bye week. Kevin O'Connell after the game said we're going to take a look and really evaluate the unit, the inventory of plays we have for Josh. We got healthy. We got Jaron back. Jaron Hall, the quarterback, back available to us. And then Nick Mullins is available as well. As well, if you're looking for Jaron Hall or Nick Mullins to right the ship and get the Vikings back to being a playoff contender for real, woo! Desperation. It's far past. It's as far past, uh, you know, breaking glass, this, that, and the other time. So, outside looking in, you have the Green Bay Packers, you have the Los Angeles Rams, you have the New Orleans Saints, you have the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers on the outside looking in. Slim to none as far as the playoff chances are concerned. The New York Giants, the Chicago Bears, the My Washington Commanders, the Arizona Cardinals, and the Carolina Panthers. And again, I, I want to reiterate the Washington Commanders, who were embarrassed by the Dallas Cowboys, 45-10. to After that, they fired the defensive coordinator, Jack Del Rio, because, de- because the defense for Washington ranks last in scoring. They're giving up almost 30 points a game, which is 29th in the league. They're 29th in yards, giving up 380, one year after being 7th and 3rd, respectively, in those areas. So, yeah. it's uh, and, and now we have a situation where John... Keem of ESPN said on his latest uh, podcast that some players have gone to Rivera again to ask if he'd take back some of the power given to Bienemy uh, this offseason. If you remember during training camp, Bienemy raised uh, standards and d- demanded maximum effort from every single member of his offensive playing staff. 
And of course, that didn't sit well with some of those who became accustomed to the more relaxed methods of the previous coordinators who called the shots, the John, the, uh, John Grutens of the world. Um, the, this led to uh, some going to Ron Rivera and complaining about being the Mies coaching methods. And Grant Paulson of 106.7, the fan in Washington, said that I continue to hear that if it's up to the players, if they are counseled in any way by the ownership group, <clears throat> there, will, there will not be glowing endorsements, by and large, for Eric Bieniemy from guys on offense. That doesn't mean I don't think Bieniemy has done a pretty... I don't. That doesn't mean I don't think Bieniemy has done a pretty good job. I do. It doesn't mean I don't think Bieniemy has done an outstanding job developing Sam Howell. I do. But basically what he's saying is that, hey man, look, you know, this is a situation where the players, whether it's by his way of talking to them or whatever, they're not going to give Eric Bieniemy an endorsement. I don't care if you're Johan Dotson. I don't care if you're Sam Howell. I don't care if you're Curtis Samuel. I don't give a damn. I don't care if you're Terry McLaurin. I don't give a damn who you are. If you're going to the coach, and if you're not going to give Eric Bieniemy, or if you're going to be giving Eric Bieniemy a negative endorsement, get the fuck off my football team. Get the fuck off my football team because I've I've had it. I've had it with mediocrity. I've had it with laissez-faire. I've had it with ineptitude. I've had it with being irrelevant. You like being a Bears 45 to, 45 to 10? You like losing to the Chicago Bears? You like losing to the New York Giants with Tommy DeVito as your quarterback, as their quarterback? You, you like that bullshit? You're fine with that nonsense? You think somehow, someway, not being pressed, somehow, someway, not being demanded excellence somehow, some way, you think you're going to turn that around? Get the fuck off my football team. I'm tired of this bullshit. I don't give a fuck who they are. What kind of nonsense is that? He's being too hard on us on camp. He, he's demanding too much. He's too demanding. Unless Eric Bieniemy is motherfucking you every single time you make a mistake or... Saying something personal about your mother or your kids or your wife or whatever, unless he's calling your name, you know, outside outside of pocket, unless he's doing all those other things, shut the fuck up and play some fucking football and try to win and try to understand what he's doing again. Because who am I going to listen to? Who 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 advice am I going to take into consideration? A Patrick Mahomes, a Travis Kelsey, a Tyreek Hill. I don't know. Guys with, um, let's see what I'm looking for. Jewelry that reads Super Bowl champions? Or am I going to look to a bunch of guys that, have, that haven't done anything? Now look, Johan Dotson and all those guys I just mentioned, I don't know if they went to the coach. I don't know if they're sour on Eric Bieniemy. I don't know. But they're talking about someone in terms of on that offense. I don't know who else. It's got to be one of them. It's got to be some of them. Because if it was just one player, it would be a no big deal. So it's got to be a multitude of players. I don't know if it's Brian Robinson Jr. I don't know who it is. But whoever it is, shut the fuck up. Or get the fuck out. If I were the owner, Josh, um, oh my goodness, Magic and those guys, the ownership group of the Washington Commanders, if I, were own, if I was owning that team, I would go into the locker room. And I would say anybody who has a problem 
with Eric Bieniemy demanding excellence, demanding attention to detail, demanding all of those things. Any of you guys who have a problem with that, come see me and we'll get your asses out of here immediately. ASAP. I don't give a fuck. Where, I don't care if we'll send you from, we'll send you from, I don't know, from Philadelphia all the way down to Carolina. But that's some bullshit, man. That's some bullshit. And again, as a lifelong fan of the commanders who's had to put up with ineptitude for, I don't know, now for the last 20 years, enough! Enough! So yeah, that's my rant on the um, Washington commanders. Eric Bieniemy is being too hard on us. So you need to take back some of the play calling. Now, maybe Brian Robinson Jr. is going up there saying you need to take back some of the play calling because um, he's calling too many passes. I want to rock more. Okay, possibly, maybe. But what was stemming from uh, earlier in terms of the season and preseason seems to have, uh, you know, raised his ugly head again. And it's becoming an issue. Why are you going to Ron Rivera, guys? He ain't going to be around after five more games. He ain't going to be the coach of the team. Hopefully, Josh Harris and the Magic Johnsons of the, of the, the ownership group, hopefully they will get a coach in there who will take a look at your sorry asses and get you the fuck out of there. If that's going to be your attitude, that he's demanding too much, that he's too demanding, that a coach is too demanding. I'm not going to call you guys losers because you ain't losers because you made it to the NFL. But for heaven's sakes alive, man, get, give me a break on that nonsense. All right, when we come back, uh, <laughs> after I calm down, college football, player, uh, the um, playoff rankings for this week, we'll talk about it and all those good things. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. Well, I'm the jibber, dabber, sure like shabba. Ranks making bank, operating like trapper. John and me, yeah, that's what folks tell me. I plan on going far and be a star like Marcus Welby. So there, there, uh-huh. You suit, though, yes, I mix the buckets, scores and buckets like Menudo or Judo. I get it, I do them when I gamble. And when I swings my thing, I take the swing like Mickey Mantle. But um, I got more flavors in a pack an hour later. Beg your pardon, Mr. Cooper, but I love vanilla wafers. See, I got it going on because of the songs that I write. I got it going on because my crew is enough hype, but I sit them, I stand them, I brand them like Zorro. I shop at Dagasino for a bag of Stella Doro. Breadsticks, oh yes, it's the books plus three of my cousin's crazy, crazy A, Blitz, and D. Because we're just Last segment of the podcast. Last segment of the program. Look, I'm going to skip the NBA because it's getting close to my Georgetown Hoyas playing and uh, got to watch my boys play. Talked about the NBA, talked about the refereeing, talked about Scott Foster, talking about Chris Paul, talking about all of those things. Going to get into more in depth. Talked about the uh, in-season tournament. Talked about all them good things. The Phoenix Suns, seven in a row winning streak. Uh, they're playing well. The defense is getting better. My Washington Wizards stink out loud. The Detroit Pistons or a team, I don't know what they're going to do. They've lost 14 games in a row, including getting blown out by the Wizards, which prompted Molly Williams to call it call in not only their professionalism, but their heart, which I can uh, definitely understand if you get blown out 126-107 by the Wiz at, at home, 
yeah, there's that's that sign for quite a concern. But uh, all that good stuff, man. I'll, I'll um, get a little bit more in depth on the um, NBA a little bit later on because there's like 15 minutes before my Georgetown Hoyas start playing, and I want to uh, go ahead and watch them play because only my goddaughter and my mom and my brother are the only things that will uh, supersede my importance of watching Georgetown basketball. So there you go. So let me really quickly get into the top four seeds of the um, top four seeds of college football, which, I mean, you know, Georgia, Michigan, Georgia, Michigan, where where is it? Let me pull that up. Georgia, Michigan, um, Washington, and Florida State. That's what the... uh, that's what the uh, folks came up with, the committee came up with, which it, it's kind of, I, I, w- I would love, again, I, I would love to see, now maybe they could sit there and talk about, well, we wanted to see the four teams in terms of should we put Michigan number one over Georgia, and what about um, what about Washington and Florida State? Bullshit, fellas, bullshit. You knew that the top four teams were going to be the four teams that were undefeated. There, there was no other argument. You might sit there and talk about, well, should we have Michigan over Georgia or something like that? But for the most part, you knew what the four teams were going to be just based on their record alone. Again, I don't know how much that falls into um, the top four teams. I really don't know what that really entails. Georgia, Michigan, Washington, Florida State. Then the next group, or five through ten, you have Oregon, Ohio State, Texas, Alabama, Missouri, Penn State. I really don't like to go into the college football rankings, especially now when you're speaking about the playoffs only having four teams, because I don't want to be beating the same drum. I don't want to be singing the same song. I don't want to be acting the same role. I don't want to be, you know, talking the same minutia all over again in terms of I don't know. I, I really don't have any idea of how they come up with these rankings. I don't know how, how they come up with I, – I, I just don't know. I mean – my top four, if I don't know, my definition of a top four, the top four seeds are who are the four best teams, regardless of record. Now, when you say regardless of record, record plays into the equation in terms of who I think the best teams are. But just because you're undefeated, that doesn't mean that you're the best. That you are, that that you're the best team in the uh, in in the country. One loss records, while important doesn't tell the whole story. I mean, hell, Rocky Marciano went 49-0. He retired undefeated. You think he's better than Muhammad Ali, who lost three times? Do you think that he's better than Joe Lewis, who lost three times? Sugar Ray Robinson lost a whole bunch of times. He's considered the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world. You know, we already had a discussion in the NFL about who's the best team in the league. The best record, we know, is the Philadelphia Eagles. Are we sure? That they're the best team in the league when you speak about the San Francisco 49ers? So just equating the best teams in the league based on record alone, or I don't know if they came up with those four teams based majority on, well, that's what their record is. If that's what their record was in terms of you deciding which the playoff teams are, then that meeting that you had to come up with the four teams that are going to be participating in the playoffs, that should have lasted about maybe 10 minutes. Because my top four teams don't look like that. The best four teams that I've seen this season are Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, and Oregon. How in the world can you have 
the top four teams in the country, one of them be Washington, and then in the championship game that's going to be played this weekend for the conference championship, they're underdogs, they're nine and a half point underdogs versus Oregon. Now, I understand that for betting reasons and all that other kind of stuff, they come up with the, um, they come up with the line to entice betters one way or the other. I know that there's some type of science in this. And it is not purely based on which team is better. But I'm sorry. If I'm going to base my opinions or thoughts on who the four best teams in college football are, some bunch of clowns who are sitting in a room, some ADs and some old coaches and some other folks sitting in a room deciding which teams are the best teams in uh, in college football or Vegas, I'm putting my money on Vegas. I'm turning my attention to Vegas. I'm putting my stock on the opinions of Vegas. So for me, just because Ohio State lost to Michigan, I don't think Florida State's better than Ohio State. I don't think Washington is better than Ohio State. They lost a six-point game to Michigan. So all of a sudden now that drops them to six because they lost one game. Meanwhile, Florida State with a second-string quarterback had to come back to... uh, Beat Florida, a team that's mediocre. And Washington has been scuffing a little bit the last couple of days, a last couple of games, to the point where they're nine and a half point underdogs against Oregon. And Oregon showed up well. Bo Nix had the Heisman Trophy winning performance possibly against Oregon State. We'll see what happens in the conference championship game. But if you're going to have Oregon as such a strong favorite over Washington, then how can you have Washington as one of the top four teams in the country and have Oregon at number six. And look, I know, I understand, I get it, I understand. All of that stuff will be played out when they play on Saturday. I get it, I understand. So whoever wins that game will then secure one of the four playoff spots. I get it, I understand it. But just for at the time right now, I don't understand how you can have Washington above Oregon and have Oregon be a favorite in their conference championship game. And all of the uh, Georgia, whether they beat Alabama or not, they're still the best team in the country. How can you have a team that's won two national championships in a row? And I understand it's college. So you have players who are graduating. I know each team, especially with the transfer portal and NIL, I know that each team, each season is different. It's not the same. But how can you have a team that has been so dominant recently as Georgia if they lose to Alabama, how could you have them out of the playoffs? If that, if, if even if that's the case. So if Georgia loses to Alabama, and Florida State beats Louisville for the ACC championship, which would then mean that they're going to be the um, one of the participants to compete for a national championship. And let's just say, for instance, because Georgia lost Alabama, that they're going to be knocked out. How can anybody look at this, look at themselves or look at anybody else with a straight face and say, yeah, this is kind of like, look, this, is, this is a good thing. We're really now going to determine who the best team in college football is based on that. Then again, how in the world can Ohio State have an opportunity to move into the playoff position when they haven't, when their last game was a loss? I don't get it. I don't understand it. And again, if there were some rules, if there's some regulations, if there's some understanding, if there was some transparency in all of this, it would be a little bit better. But when you have guys in, in, a, in a locked door come out and say, these are our top four, 
without any real explanation, even though they give give us some. I don't understand how that works. I don't understand how that goes. I don't under, how, understand how that computes. That's just me. That's just me. Well, college football ain't going away based on my thoughts and opinions about how they come up with the four teams. And next next season, there'll be more transparency and more, um, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll be better to understand because it's going to go to a 12-team playoff, which which is going to be better that way. So that that's good. Right, that, that That's good that way. But I, I've never... I've never understood the playoff rankings. And look, I'm not just saying this stuff because I want to be negative toward the committee or anything like that. But again, when you don't when you don't explain yourself, I don't know. I'm I'm lost in terms of how you guys come up with these these uh, rankings. Except for yeah, you just take a look at the one loss records, and those are your top four teams. Okay, well then, well, what are we having the committee for? And again, what what are we basing it on? Texas at number seven, so the winner of the um, the winner of the uh, championship game, the Big Twelve championship game, really doesn't mean anything, right? Well, it does. It means a spot in one of the New Year's Day Bowl. Well, big whoopty damn do. What does that mean? I mean, aren't we playing for championships? Isn't isn't that what our society is all about? If you're not first, you're last. I mean, isn't that all part of the equation, except for college football, where a successful season is winning 10 games? And, you know, if you can win 10 games, if, if you're in a major power or conference, if you're in the Big Ten, if you're in the Big 12, if you're in the ACC, if you can win 10 games and make it to a bowl game, that's considered fantastic. That's considered great. That's considered a successful season. Now, depending upon where you're coaching, that's not good enough for Alabama. That's not good enough for Ohio State. That's not good enough for uh, Texas or even Oklahoma. The, the, the expectations are higher, and it's kind of uh, and and it's kind of uh, explained by that paycheck that you get, you know, by the facilities. You know, Clemson, Dabu Sweeney has uh, built himself a monster to where what look winning eight or nine games and not playing in an ACC championship which will give them an opportunity to play for a national championship that's unacceptable if you're Alabama and you win nine or ten games but you're behind LSU that's unacceptable and the same thing goes for LSU LSU was ranked what in the top 15 they're not paying Brian Kelly all that money to be a top 15 school they're not paying Brian Kelly so he can play in the Gator Bowl or he can play in the New Year's Day Bowl or any of that bullshit. We're playing we're paying Brian Kelly a whole lot of money for him to beat Nick Saban and compete for national championships year in and year out. We're not asking Brian Kelly. We're not saying that it's a successful tenure as head coach of the LSU football program for you to compete for a national championship once every five or six years. No, my man. You better do it in a 10-year span. You better be competing for national championships at the very minimum seven of those 10 years. Or else, what are we paying you eight, nine, 10, 11 million dollars for? So I get it. There's different expectations. For, I mean, hell, Brian, Brian, Ryan Day, who beats everybody with the exception of uh, Michigan, you know, they're, they're starting to have this. I don't know. I'm not saying, I shouldn't say, they're not starting to have discussions. But there's like discussions about whether Ryan Day should be the head coach of Ohio State because for the third year in a row, they've lost to Michigan. And while I, while that seems preposterous, it really isn't. Now, I'm not advocating that Ohio State should fire Ryan Day, 
But look, my man, you knew the expectations when you signed on the dotted line. When you're making the amount of money that you're making, those are the expectations. It's not a surprise. I don't think Brian Day is sit, Ryan Day is sitting there talking about, you mean I have to beat Michigan or else the fan base is going to be unhappy? I had no idea. I thought just winning 10 games and beating Northwestern and Maryland every year and competing for conference championships, I thought that was enough. No, you know what the score is. You know what the deal is. If you want to be able to win eight games a year and be a millionaire, fucking go coach at Duke. Go coach Wake Forest. Coach Mississippi State. Go coach Mississippi. Hell, Lane Kiffin could win eight or nine games for the rest of his career, and he's going to be sitting in high cotton, making millions of dollars in a broke-ass state like Mississippi. He knows the deal. He can't do that shit at Ohio State. Lane Kiffin is going to find out. Re- I mean, um, um, uh, uh, oh, my goodness. Lane, um, the coach for Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley, is going to find out very quickly that his bullshit about, no, we don't play for Michigan. We don't think about national championships at this school. And that shit is going to wear out really, really quickly because we're not paying you $10 million to go 7-5. and five. We're not paying you $10 million to lose to Tulane in the Cotton Bowl, which has no implication for a national championship. We're not paying you $10 million for that. Now, if you want to do that, go, go coach at Oregon State. If you want to do that, go coach at Washington State. If you want to go do that, coach at Indiana. If you want to do that, go coach at fucking UNLV. If you want to do that, go coach at Central Michigan. If you want to do that, go coach some, uh, at Auburn and beat Nick Saban in, in Alabama, you know, once every four or five years. But no, nah, man, uh-uh, uh-uh. We're, we're paying you $10 million to compete for championships. In that regard, I really can't uh, begrudge or get upset or think that it's delusional or ridiculous for the fan base, the administrators, and the um, folks who are writing the checks to uh, have those type of expectations. So, there you go. Okay, my Georgetown game is on. I'm getting out of here. Wendell Wallace. Oh, yeah, I forgot to tell everybody. Peace, love, happiness, love everybody, respect everybody who needs to be respected, regardless of race, creed, color, religious background, political backgrounds, except for if they're far right, far left, whatever. But love everybody. Love, peace, respect. Supreme Cook, could you please fucking catch an inbound pass and go up strong with the basketball? I'm already getting heated. We're up by 7 with nine, with uh, 7.19 left to go. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. Go Hoyas! Get me out of here with some music. How much fun it's gonna be together This Christmas The fireside's blazing bright We're caroling through the night And this Christmas Will be A very special Christmas From me Yeah. 
presents and cards are here My world is filled with cheer and you This Christmas and as I look around Your eyes outshine the town they do This Christmas fireside is blazing bright We're caroling through the night Shake your hand, shake your hand. 